0: Hey, Jacob 12 Podcast, thanks for checking us out this week. Hey, we are launching a new series, and I should probably warn you that this series is not going to be PC. In fact, you might get downright offended at this series because we're gonna look at a side of Jesus that maybe you've never considered before. And let me just say that if you've never been offended by Jesus, then you really have never met. Big parts, whole aspects, complete perspectives on Jesus. So get ready as we get ready to launch this series called Seven. Seven. The summer between my ninth and 10th grade year was filled with a fair amount of terror. It was filled with a fair amount of terror because um, I was changing schools. For the first nine years, I'd gone to a fairly small Catholic school and was in a place where I knew. and, And I was transferring to the big high school, thousands of kids all of a sudden. And as is the case, I don't know if it's still the case, I imagine it is, older people, older brothers and sisters and friends, had been assuring me that torture awaited me when I went to the big school. That horrible things with heads and toilets and being beat up daily and horrible things. And the biggest danger was to be found in gym class and specifically the boys' locker room. And so that was a a time of terror and fear, unlike any. And I remember there actually was an interaction you know, in this locker room. I remember going in and when you're a boy just coming of age, it's already intimidating and showers and all that crazy stuff. It's horrible. And um, and feeling this in, this incredible fear. And I remember standing by locker and looking over and there were, there were three older uh, upperclassmen and they kind of looked at me and I guess they could smell the fear and they kind of came over and they started talking to me and started talking to me about being a Catholic boy and all of that. And remember my heart, you know, pounding and just trying to look away not being able to look away and just fearing for my life. And then all of a sudden I looked over their shoulder and in walked Doug. Now, Doug was one of the meanest guys in just the history of growing up. Doug just had a reputation for beating people up and making them hurt. And you just didn't want to mess with Doug. He was huge and he liked to fight. He didn't say much, but usually involved a lot of grunting and things like that. And, and, And as I looked at him, they looked over their shoulder at him as well and it was a very very tense moment have you ever seen a side of someone that surprises you uh, another memory i have from growing up as a teacher who was just the biggest jerk strict horrible Just You just had this idea. Well, I had an interaction with him outside of school where he came to one of our family gatherings. He came to a party, and he was the most fun, amazing, just great guy you ever saw. It was just a different side. I, I see this in my kids all the time. I see situations where I think my kids like this, and all of a sudden they just show up and they interact like this. And so you're surprised by an aspect of a person you did not see. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were surprised by Jesus? By, by some vision of Jesus, some view of Jesus, some understanding of Jesus that maybe you never saw before. Let me ask you it a little bit more pointed. When was the last time that you saw something in Jesus that offended you? Because I would just contend that if you've never been offended by Jesus, you're not paying attention to who he actually is. You see, growing up, probably 30 years ago, uh, the church I grew up in, the church a lot of you grew up in, had a vision of Jesus that was very stark and stringent and, and strict. And, and so, over these last 20 or 30 years, in a lot of churches... People have been trying to rediscover the human Jesus. And and they talk about we talk about, I'm part of this, uh Jesus being our friend and our companion and and and, and he's very human, and he's very relatable, and we kind of get this idea that Jesus is a great guy you'd love to have a beer with, or maybe, you know, have some coffee with, and it's all about hugs and you know, that kind of stuff like that. And and while this understanding of the human Jesus from the gospel has actually and was actually Very necessary and very corrective. I wonder now in our current state if we haven't gotten a little unbalanced with our view of Jesus. I wonder if we haven't just become so familiar with the man that we don't realize who we're dealing with when we talk about the Lord. Jesus Christ. And, and so we want to actually look at a passage of scripture today at the beginning of this series called seven, where we're going to seek to rediscover uh, maybe a Jesus you never knew, an aspect of him you haven't seen. And I would just contend if you grew up in like the evangelical church over the last 20 years, this is not a Jesus we talk about very often. This is not a Jesus we see very often. This is a Jesus who might offend you. I should warn you too, that this is not a PC Jesus. Okay? Uh, This is a Jesus that that is going to kind of blow the top off it a little bit. Now, we're going to discover him by looking at a book, the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. Now, whenever we talk about the book of the Revelation, I get two groups of people. Some people freak out because they're so excited because they think, finally, Paul's going to tell us how the world's going to end. And that's because a lot of people have this understanding that the book of the Revelation is like a roadmap to the end of the world. And if we can just figure out the code and we can figure out how the different parts fall together, then we can predict dates and we can get ready and we can figure out who's Europe and who's, you know, China and all these kinds of things like that. That's not how I understand the book of the Revelation at all. And so if that's where you're at, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. Um, so, so the other group freaks out because they say, Revelations, that book just scares me to death. That book freaks me out. And, and, and what I want to say to you is that that also is a misread of the book of Revelations, probably because you've had people teach this book to you in a way that's very scary and, and, and confusing. And, and so what I hope to do is to kind of deconstruct a little bit, because here's the deal, spoiler alert. The book of the Revelation is about the great revelation of God. That is the thing, say the thing God really wants to show us. And the spoiler alert is this: Jesus is the revelation of God. And so what is He trying to show us? He's trying to show us Jesus, and he's trying to show Jesus in a way that will, at first disturb us. It will scare us. it will disturb us. But ultimately, as followers of Christ, it comes back and becomes the most profound sense of comfort that we could discover. You see, the book of Revelations is, is really meant to kind of help us explain life here on earth. Because the book of the Revelation is about a war. It's about a war between a dragon and a lamb. Now, ordinarily, when you would say, okay, who's taking odds? Who's going to take the dragon?" Most people, oh, I'll go dragon against the lamb. And yet, this dragon comes up with this lamb, who it ends up, turns out, to actually be a lion. And the lion and the lamb who sits on the throne destroy the dragon. Ultimately, the dragon is thrown into a lake of fire. And so it's a symbolic story. It's an act of worship. And at the heart of the book of the Revelation is worship. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are 50. Teen songs in the book of Revelation. That is, words that when they were originally written were meant to be sung. In fact, so, you might notice if you read the book of Revelation, so many of the, the songs we sing even today, it's amazing how many of them find their source, find their lyrics in the book of the Revelation. And it's meant to be a song... Sung. It's meant to be a book read. In fact, it's the only book that says if you read this, if you sing this, if you'll say it out loud, it will bless you. Because that's how it was supposed to be done originally. It's meant to speak comfort to people who are in the middle of this war and finding themselves Under persecution, finding themselves wondering why there's so much evil in the world, finding themselves finding out why there's so much injustice, why the rich oppose the poor, why governments take advantage of their people. Why is this going on? Well, because there is a dragon, there is an enemy, the great serpent, the ancient enemy of God, who is at war against the Lamb, and listen, against the followers of the Lamb. And so when you understand that there's a war going on, all of a sudden things change. See, all of a sudden, you start saying, oh, all right, well, some of what's going on in this world makes a whole lot more sense. Now, I want to pick up this story in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Now, verses 1 through 8, which would be worth you going back and reading, basically says, hey, this book is written by a guy named John... God gave him a vision, and this vision is what this is all about. And this vision is meant to talk about this war that ultimately be won by the Lamb, who it turns out also as a lion. This, this war that's going to be won and going to make all things right and just and true. And and so John wrote this, and it's all about Jesus. In fact, if you look at verses 6 and 7, he says he's faithful and true. He's the one who's risen from the dead. He's the Alpha and the Omega. This is what the book is about. Now, in verse um, verse 9, we start reading about this vision that the author, John, is going to start receiving. and And let's just take a look. It's in verse 9 it says, I, John, stop there. Who's John? Well, John is John of the gospel of John. So he wrote the gospel of John. This is John who was one of Jesus's original 12 disciples. This is John who stood at the cross, the only disciple who was faithful to stay at the cross, who Jesus said, Hey, John, you take care of my mom. This is John who at the Lord's Supper had such a close friendship and bond with Jesus that when they were reclining, they reclined, and the Bible says he was reclining on Jesus, and he could talk to Jesus intimately. So this is John who walked with him, talked with him, knew how he smelt. This is John who knows Jesus, and, and yet he is about to have his mind blown by the aspect of Jesus that he never saw before. You see, we get comfortable with our view of Jesus. But if we're not careful, and we don't have a balanced view of who Jesus is, we might be worshiping an idol we've created ourselves. If we kind of want to treat Jesus like a buffet and say, I'll take some good shepherd and some savior, not going to do the Lord thing. You know, mighty, mighty God's not so much that freaks me out. Oh, one coming to judge. I hate the judge. It's like kale. You know, I'm not going to do that, right? If you treat Jesus like that, well, then you do run the risk of maybe buying fire insurance instead of finding salvation. You run the risk of thinking that you're in right standing, but when you're in right, not in right standing, you're actually worshiping something that's not who Jesus really is. And so here's John, just one just woman who knows Jesus so well. And by the way, Jesus being the ultimate, infinite, never-ending God, you're never going to get to the end of him. So if you think you know him, you haven't scratched the surface. In fact, my belief is the great joy in heaven is discovering more and more and more and more and more and more about Jesus and discovering more and more what beauty and glory and honor it all looks like. There there aren't words in our language. We're not having any capacity. And so here's John. It says, I, John, he says, your brother. I love the fact that he's brother, he's with us, he's understanding. Look at this. And your companion, look at this, in suffering... And in kingdom and in patient endurance. He's talking to people who understand what it means to suffer. He understands, he's talking to people who understand that they are invested not in an earthly kingdom, but in the kingdom of God, that their first citizenship is not the United States of America. Now, I'm proud to be American. I love my country and all that, but that's temporary. That's going to go away. My ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And the standard by which I live is not as a good American, but as a person who is a kingdom citizen. And so as a companion to suffering in kingdom and in patient endurance. People who understand that a big part of this life is waiting and waiting and putting up with things that just not the way they're supposed to be, that this is hard, that there's some suffering involved, that there's a war going on, and we're wrapped up in the middle of this. And so there's suffering, kingdom, patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, that because we're followers of Jesus, we get some extra of that. Now take a look. He says, I was on the island of Patmos. So Patmos is a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It says, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's just a really spiritual way that said, I got arrested because I was a follower of Jesus. Because I preached the word, and because I was a follower of Jesus, they they recognized I had too much influence, so they isolated me, and they put me in the middle of this island. And now I'm separated from my brothers and sisters who I long to be with. There's a sea that separates us. That's, by the way, why it's so significant. At the end of the Revelation, he says of the New Jerusalem, that he says will have a crystal sea. He says, but in that New Jerusalem, there'll be no sea. What he meant by that is there's no longer going to be any separation from us. So he's longing to be with his beloved and he can't be with his beloved. He says, I was on the, I do Patmos, because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, verse 10, he says, now on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So it was church day and he took time to worship. I don't know if I were alone, I might take the day off. But he didn't. So he's seeking God, he's in the spirit. And look at this, and I heard behind me, A voice like a trumpet. Now, the voice of God is a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he nudges. Sometimes it's like a trumpet. And and in this case, it was like a trumpet. And there are times when it's hard to hear God's voice. There are times that our heart is hardened. And so we're not listening for the voice of God. But there is a day coming. Listen now. When Jesus is revealed, the great revelation... When Jesus returns, where everybody is going to hear his voice. Everybody is going to hear his voice. And so we should listen attentively now. A huge part of the book of the Revelation, the part we're going to look at over these next couple of weeks, is what this voice, the word of God, wants to say specifically to his churches. Look at verse 11. He said, right, and the voice said, write on a scroll what you see and send it, to seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theratyrus, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so there are these seven churches, It's probably a network of churches he has. I want you to send this this letter. And and in these letters, the Spirit of God, through the messenger sent, is going to have a specific message for each one of these these churches. And and the one thing, he's going to say several different things to every one of the churches, but the one thing he's going to say to the churches, to every one of them is this. He's going to say, let him or her who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So Jesus is talking to his churches. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is still talking to his churches. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be attentive to the voice of Jesus Christ. And you need to be learned to be attentive to the voice of Jesus Christ. But what you're going to see over the next seven weeks, my goodness, is that every one of these messages for every one of these churches, some come with praise, some with conviction, they all come with warning, could not be more relevant today than it was 2,000 years ago, because the Spirit is still speaking to his churches. Look at verse 12. He said, I turned around to see the voice, and that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, in a minute, the Scriptures are going to tell us that those seven lampstands represent the, the churches. So the whole idea is just imagine a stand with an oil lamp on it. And just imagine that that represents the church. And it's an incredible picture, isn't it? It's a picture of light. It's a picture of warmth. It's a picture of safety. And one of the things you need to understand is that there is a danger. Listen now, there is a danger. Now listen, that for a church, the lampstand can be taken away. And when the spirit of God is taken out of the church, when a church quits listening to the voice of God and the lampstand, you're left with like a club, a historical society, some other thing. And so this is a word of warning. Now, now look at this, verse 13. It's just so cool. I get chills every time I read it. And among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. Jesus walks among his churches. Jesus Christ is here today. He is by you. He is around you. He is over you. He is speaking to you. Now, I may be speaking, but the Spirit of God is speaking. And, and the songs may be sung, but the Spirit of God. The Spirit is nudging all the time. And when you understand the seriousness of that proposition, all of a sudden, oh, wait, I just thought I was going to church. No, I'm going to hear from the one who walks among the lampstands. So now, notice the first thing he's called is one who is like a son of man. Now, one that you need to understand about the word, the term "son of man," is that is the term that Jesus used when he walked on the earth. That's the term that identifies Jesus as the human Jesus, as the one who became incarnate. And so, John would have understood him like the son as the son of man. But he was like said, "Well, he was like the son of man. It was sure Jesus, but I ain't never seen Jesus like that before." And so for John, he wants us to understand clearly that this is not some new thing. This is Jesus, but Jesus who walks alongside us and with us in the church, but unlike anything we ever saw. Now what he said, he said, first of all, he's dressed in a robe that reaches down to his feet. That's a picture of Jesus as the great high priest that he is the one who stands between us and God. And we've got to have a mediator between us and God because, listen, we have sinned, we, we we have embraced evil. Some people say, you know, why doesn't God just come and wipe out all the evil in the world? Well, because there wouldn't be any of us left. Because good and evil goes right down the center of the human heart. You've got good in you, you've got evil in you. And, and so to just get rid of all the evil, there just wouldn't be any of us left. And so we need a mediator, someone who can deal with us and deal with God. And so Jesus, the Bible says, makes intercession for us. He, he brings us to the Father. He is the one, because he is acceptable, can bring us to the Father. That, by the way, is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. At the end of prayers, we say, and I pray in Jesus' name. And and a lot of us think that means Roger will go out or something like that. You know, prayer is done now, checking out. It doesn't mean that. What it means is, okay, God, I'm asking for stuff. I'm coming to you. I need forgiveness. I need help. I need strength. I need wisdom. And you know what, God? I don't have anything to offer you. Anything I offer you, you already got. Anything, you don't need anything. And you know what? Anything I got is so tainted by my motives and everything else. I, I can't, I haven't been good enough. But you know what? Here's the deal. Jesus said that if I came in his name, you would welcome me. You know what it means today in Jesus' name? It's name dropping. It's saying, hey, Jesus sent me. Can I get in? Jesus sent me, will you hear my prayers? And because the Father honors Jesus as the great meter, the great high priest, he says, I hear you, I welcome you as my child. It's an incredible picture. And so there's this robe that reaches his feet with a golden sash around his chest. That's a picture of kingship because we have in Jesus a prophet, a priest, and a king. A sash would have all, we still do this with the military, all the accomplishments, all the things that the king had done, all the names and the honors that had been given. And Jesus has a sash that just declares him as the great king greater than any other. Is that just way, uh, symbolically, just saying that this is the great king? Verse 14, it said his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. That's a picture in the Old Testament Throughout the Psalms, throughout the Proverbs, in multiple places in Isaiah, it's a sign of the ancient of days, the wise one, the one who has always been. There was never and never could be, there is not and there was not a time where Jesus was not. There is not a before Jesus. He is the ancient of days. He is the one white as wool. He is eternal, beyond eternal. There will never be a time there is not Jesus. He is, he's going to say in a minute, first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. It starts with him, it ends with him. This is our Jesus. This is the one who, who, who we need to see it said his eyes were like a blazing fire. That's a picture of penetrating gaze in which nothing can be hidden. He understands motives. He understands hearts. He breaks through our pretext. He'll look at things that we're not willing, and he sees us with a penetrating gaze, a blazing fire. We are exposed. We are naked. We are vulnerable in the biggest sense in front of Jesus. Verse 15, it says his feet we're like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, this is the part where it starts getting offensive. That's a picture of strength and, and power to stomp on his enemies. It's a picture that goes all the way back to Ezekiel and Isaiah. And the fact that, just imagine these bronze feet that have been like, burning in the fire and it's strong it's pure and it's righteous because it's been refined notice it says refined by fire it's pure that when he opposes and what he opposes what he throws down what he judges unrighteous he and he alone is righteous to oppose that And so one of the things we we rarely claim when we talk about the names of Jesus and how beautiful he worship his name, we say, oh, he's he's the good shepherd, he's the door, he's the way, the truth, and life. You know what? He's the judge of the living and the dead. So he's going to return to bring judgment. And so all of a sudden we say, okay, I'm going to set up a little straighter here. This is a part of Jesus I haven't thought about, or maybe I didn't know, or I hadn't thought about in a long, long time time and he will bring judgment and listen wrath against evil they'll take a look I'll show you here in just a minute it says in his voice was like the sound of rushing water there is a time and we live in an age where people can ignore the voice of Jesus there will be a time no one no one will ignore the voice of Jesus I'll show you that in a minute because for them it's not a good deal In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, seven stars are the seven messages or the seven messages that he is going to give to John to give to the messenger of the churches that this is what he wants to say to the churches. He has something to say to his churches. And out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. That's the word of God, that what he says is true. And if you like that it cuts some of those people who don't understand truth, just be careful because it cuts back the other way. That it cuts through lies. And it's not the thing of, you know what? Hey, there's your truth and there's my truth. You know what? Hey, you know what? Whatever is your truth is your truth. No, there is God's truth. And Jesus comes and he speaks the truth. And I can get it confused about that. He's not confused about This truth cuts both ways, okay? This is our Jesus too as well. Look what it says. It says, in his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so that is a picture of glory. You know, glory is a word we throw around a lot at church. We sing, sing God glory. You know, one of the craziest things we say, we say, God, show me your glory. You've heard us sing like that. That's a terrifying thing to think about. Asking for God to show you his glory is like asking to literally touch the sun. You see, the Bible is very clear that God, in His mercy, withholds His glory because if He showed all that He is, all that He is wonder, it would blow our minds. It would consume us. He is beyond understanding. He said, "You know, show, uh, uh, asking to show His glory is like touching the sun." L- listen, as crazy as that sounds, Jesus rolled the sun off His fingertips. So when you talk about God show me your glory and as like it's a, a warm, cuddly kind of thing, then, then, then you should just take a step back because you're not just singing a song. It's not a romantic notion. It's that God, I, I want to be able to see more of your glory. See, Moses asked to see God's glory. And God said, my glory will pass by, but you can't look at it. I'm gonna cover you over. And you can just see the back of it. You can see part of it. And, and that was all that Moses could handle. And it actually caused Moses' face to glow. And it was God's way of saying, I am above your pay grade. I am bigger than you have made me. I am more amazing than you've ever made me. And when you throw around, you know what would happen? If God showed his glory right now in this room, we would all be dead. Do you understand that? I'm not being... That's not a joke. That if God would just show us his glory for who he is, we would all be undone. We would be dead. And and the only way we can go to God is, is, is through the blood and the mercy of Jesus who will carry us there. This is one of the coolest things about heaven. Heaven is the place where we're transformed from one glory to the next. That is to say, in heaven, we become something more glorious ourselves, so we can receive more of the glory of God. And that then transforms us to be something more glorious, so that we can receive more glory, so that we can receive more glory, so we can be transformed. See, we're transformed from glory to glory. And and heaven is a never-ending discovery of the glory of the nature of the wonder of God. You see, that's the most wonderful thing. See, our prayer shouldn't be so much... God, show me your glory. I wonder if our prayer shouldn't be, God, make me the kind of person who can receive more of your glory. Teach me greater holiness. Teach me to pray. Teach me to love deeper that I might see your glory in a more amazing way. You see, but God in his full glory is just beyond anything we could ever imagine. You see, your Jesus is too small. My Jesus is too small. He's way, way, way too comfortable. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a tender, there's an intimate, there is a closeness, and all the other names of God that we talk so much, the friend of sinner, all those, every bit of that is true. But Jesus is multidimensional. He's got facets we can't even begin to understand. And there are times in our life where we need to see this Jesus, and if I can just say it, be filled with a holy awe and even a holy fear. Who is it here who walks among the churches? am i serious about my worship am i attentive to what he has to say does he get to trump any of my opinions with his truth over my truth see that's the jesus we're talking about now verse 17 is remarkable remember who we're talking about this is john this is the apostle john who knew jesus closely in me walk with it. it's walked with him Look what it says, when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead John was so blown away by the glorified Jesus aspects he'd never seen before, he just falls down at his feet. Now look what happens. This is so cool. It Says then, Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, so "Pull back to glory, do not be afraid." He said, "Don't be afraid." Now, now if I weren't on your team, you'd need to be afraid. If you were, you opposed me, you'd need to be afraid. If you had invested yourself in everything, listen now, if you had invested yourself in everything, the dragon would teach you to pursue power and might and injustice. If you had invested yourself in the evil of this world, you should be afraid. But you, John, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. It all starts with me. It all ends with me. My word is the first word. I spoke everything into being. The Bible says with a word. And my word will be the last. Where where I will say now, the dwelling of God is with people, is with humanity. You're going to see it in Revelation 22. It's the most beautiful thing. He says in this, and I hold the keys of death and hates. That is to say, I determine who lives and dies. I determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I am the judge. I've got the key. That's my call. This is Jesus, and and if this is a Jesus you hadn't looked at for a while, if you're kind of hung up on again the good shepherd, friend of sinners, all that, and and man, that's all true too. This is maybe a Jesus you haven't seen in a while because the church hadn't talked about her enough, talked about him enough. Verse nineteen. He says then to John, write therefore what you have seen, what uh, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. So this is the mystery. What's the lampstand? What's the stars? He said the seven stars are the seven messengers. The word there literally is angel, angelos, I believe it should best be understood as messengers are one sent with a message. The seven stars are the seven messengers or messages of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches themselves. He said, I got something to say to my church. And, and, And the question we have to ask ourselves, are we interested in what Jesus has said to his church? I mean, are we taking him seriously or in this age of cynicism and our tendency to laugh at mocking sacred things, have we fallen into the perspective of the dragon? So easy, because the dragon is this present world. This, Paul says in another place,' this present darkness. The order of this world, that greatness is found in wealth, and, and, and fighting, and, and injustice is just part of being strong. It, 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 it's all the, 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 the evil of this world that can easily consume us. And, and, and so we need to understand just whose side we're on. Now, 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 I want to understand, I just want you to understand that so much of this is about when Christ returns in his glory. Because the first time he came, he came as a friend of sinners, meek and mild. He did all that Jesus did. He showed us the, the true power. When he returns... He returns as conquering king. The Bible says he'll return white horse, sword in his hand, and he will come and he will throw down the dragon and everything that is aligned with the dragon. You know what the Bible calls it? And the Bible calls it this like 30 times. It calls it the great and the terrible day of the Lord. The great and the terrible day of the Lord. For some, it'll be great. It'll be amazing. It'll be breathtaking. It will be the culmination of all the justice. For others, it will be terrible. It will be terrible. Let me just skip ahead to Romans uh, Revelation chapter six verse fifteen and listen to what it says when when Christ returns. It said, "Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich understand this is in time of the Roman Empire, just a horrible time of injustice. The Roman Empire." was fully invested in the way of the dragon. Uh, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves. Do you see that? Hid themselves in cave and among the rocks of the mountain, calling the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the the throne. He's going to be lifted up on the throne in chapter 3. And from, look at this, the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, this is the response of those who have aligned themselves with the dragon. If, if you go back and you read the first few verses of Revelation, you're going to see it say, it's going it says he is going well. I got it right here. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. So it's not going to be any confusion about it. Even those, listen now, who pierced him, who who literally pierced him. On the cross, and those who figuratively pierced him with mocking and disdain. He says, And all the tribes of the earth, look at this, will wail in accordance and account of him. Even so, amen. And he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And, and so, what we need to understand is that this war that's going on, and, and it, it represents itself in every war and in every injustice, is the battle between the lamb, who actually is a lion, and the dragon. And this is an aspect that we have never seen before of Jesus until Revelation. And I remember standing in the locker room that day, and I remember how tense it was, no matter how afraid I was, and then I looked over, and my cousin Doug said, Hey, Paul, is everything okay? I said, Yeah, Dougie, everything's okay. And those guys walked away, because I was with him! And he was more scary than anything they were ever going to do. And, and here's the deal. When the Lamb returns, you know, it's not just going to be happy. There will be things that will blow you away. It, it will capture your mind. It, it will be the, 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 the culmination of all history. It will be just this amazing, just amazing thing. And there will be part of your heart that will skip a beat. And, and it will be too awesome. And you will realize how small you are compared to the infinite God. But at the end of the day, if you can say, I'm with him, I'm with him. Well, then the God who disturbs, who unsettles, who is the source of fear and trembling for others, is a source of comfort and hope and peace. Because he's preparing a new Jerusalem, and he's taking away your sins, and he's making all things new. That's the message of the book of the Revelation, that Christ's return is glorious and and we win because of who he is. And so so we're not saying we win because Jesus is on our side. We're saying we win because we have taken the time to get on his side. We we have aligned ourselves with the lamb. See, there's there's three choices you have in this war between between the lamb and the dragon. There's three choices. You can align yourself with the dragon and you may say, I'd never do that. Well, listen, if you're living for this life, and, and you've let greed consume you and power and your injustice. And, and even you say, well, I go to church, I pray prayers, things like that. But listen, if, if Christ is just kind of, you know, the Savior of your life, but not the Lord of your life, you, you might want to be afraid. Say, oh, Paul, you don't want to scare anyone into heaven. Yeah, I do. Because if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you should be terrified. You should be terrified because Jesus is coming to return in wrath against everything that is evil. And if you've aligned yourself with evil, you should be terrified. You should be terrified. So your choice, you'd align with the, with, with the dragon. The other is you say, I'm just not gonna choose sides. Well, one of the messages you're gonna hear, and actually, is gonna lead this, and it's powerful, I've heard him give it, is, is, is one of the churches says, church, you know what your problem is? You're lukewarm. You're either hot, nor you're cold. You're just playing it safe. He said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says some pretty hard things. Again, if you're not really comfortable being offended by Jesus, then don't read the next three, four chapters in this book. The last choice you have is align yourself with the lamb. Is just recognize that although we're in the battle, it looks like darkness wins. and It looks like it'd be so much easier if I just give in and I just kind of go, you know, just go with the flow, you know. But at the end of the day, I believe that there was an alpha. He had the first word and I believe he's going to have the last word. I believe that he's King of kings and Lord of lords, and I'm putting everything, I'm all in. All my chips are on Jesus. I'm all in. Then, then you've aligned yourself with the Lamb of God. And it truly does transform this life, and you live differently. You begin to see what it's all about. And, and you start beginning to have your heart set towards that new Jerusalem, that new home that's waiting to be revealed and the thing that makes it so glorious is, is that God is its light. It says they don't need lights in the New Jerusalem, for God himself is their light. All that beautiful imagery is just a picture that we will be with God, and evil will be thrown into a lake of fire. The beast, the, 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 the dragon, all of it thrown into the lake of fire. And we are, we are given a place where all things are made new. And so I want to do something right now. I want to lead us in a prayer. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I just had no idea. I just had no idea that the stakes were so high, and I I realized I've been playing church, or or, or maybe I just realized, you know what, I I have never really recognized that, you know what, I've been invested in the weakness. I I need to align myself with the Lamb. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you'd like to make this prayer your prayer of declaring your allegiance to the Lamb, asking Him to come into your life, to forgive your sins, putting your faith and trust in what He did for you on the cross, this could be the day where your whole life is changed. Let my words be your words if you'd like to make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I've done evil. And if at this moment you were to receive, you were to show your glory and destroy all evil, I would be swept away. I have no leg to stand on. I have nothing to offer you. I am powerless. But Heavenly Father, you said that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, you said if I came in Jesus' name, You would forgive my sins because of what he did on the cross. Because he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. You said that I put my faith and trust in you, that although this life would have struggles and difficulties and pain because we're in the middle of a war, that at the end, you, you would bring me home. And so I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sins. I want to align myself with the lamb. I want to learn what that means. I don't want to be casual. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be a person who loves the lamb and follows him. So, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? would you forgive my sins, and would you be my Lord, my Savior. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're here this weekend and you, you, you prayed that prayer, I'm going to be hanging around after church. You can talk to one of the pastors, you go to the prayer room. Just come have a conversation uh, with one of us about that. We'd love to just be able to, to help you make sense of this journey that you've begun. For the rest of us, I just want to ask you to ask yourself deeply as the Church of Jesus Christ. As individuals, are you taking Jesus seriously. You're taking his command seriously. Do, do you think and remember that he's the one who's going to come to judge and you'll stand before him? Is, 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 are, you, are you at the point where, where, where you, you listen for his voice? Do you take time to hear what he would want to say to you? Uh, we have a devotion this week, and I should warn about the devotion. It looks at the side of God we don't always look at, the great, mighty, all-powerful God, God Almighty. You might want to spend some time letting God be that in your life. This week, stirring up some holy awe, and Christ has taken away our fear, but some holy awe at who it is. And, and just as, as the body of Christ begin to pray, because I think God's going to say some really powerful things to us over the next six, seven weeks. Some things that um, he's been wanting to say in his church for a long time, and um, we just need to get ready for it. Let's pray. Father, just come. Just come and say what you want to say. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you walk among the lampstands. You walk among this church and just give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen.